This is The Guardian. Brothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. It's raining goals. Two-time world champions Germany aren't messing about. A ruthless opening performance saw them hit six against debutantes Morocco, putting them firmly in control of Group H. Alexandra Pop didn't get her hat-trick, but she has got her eyes on the golden boot again. Ari Borges bagged hers, though, as Brazil smashed four past Panama. No goals for legend Marta, but we at least caught a glimpse of their all-time great who made an appearance complete with red lipstick for her sixth World Cup. Elsewhere, we'll lavish praise on Jamaica, who held France to a goalless draw in an impressive day while the Netherlands and Sweden bagged narrow wins against lower-ranked teams at the start of their campaigns. We've got all that for you, plus we'll take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Oh, what a panel we have today. Susie Rack, forget the football for a second. How is the lino art going? I'm having the time of my life. It looks like it. I mean, what next? Kangaroos? You know, been doing a bit of the England shirts, all kinds of stuff. I was wondering about doing a koala, maybe a bit of the Sydney Opera House, but my plan is to try, well, I'm going to try and do something from every game. That's my aim. So a player from every game, like a key moment or something, maybe. And then um, then just see what takes my fancy as I go until I run out of lino, basically. And then I'm, and paper, I might be finding an art shop in Sydney somewhere. I reckon you're going to be hanging in a museum soon enough. Not you yourself, your artwork, obviously. <laughs> if I'm hanging in a museum, is that the like the long nights getting to me? Maybe, maybe. Chris Legg, how are you enjoying the tournament so far? Yeah, ticking off the goals today. What a day to join you. Um, 11 goals. I, I thought at one stage we were only ever going to see headers again. <laughs> but then that sequence came to an end. Well, and so did the penalty sequence as well over the weekend, which is just sad as far as I'm concerned in terms of uh, stats. Jenna Scalaccia, pod debut. Delighted to have you with us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Excellent stuff. Well, look, just as a, an FYI, we are not going in chronological order in this pod today. We're going with what caught our eye most. So let's kick off with Group H, Germany 6, Morocco 0 in Melbourne, where the Alexandra Pop Revenge Tour was well and truly underway as she bagged a brace in their emphatic 6-0 victory over debutantes Morocco. We may or may not, Susie, have forgotten to mention her as a golden boot contender in our preview show. I mean, geez, what were we even thinking obviously she missed the Euros final what were we thinking you all know what we were thinking we weren't thinking we know what happened to her at the Euros final that injury in the warm-up meant she couldn't take part but she's wasted no time getting off the mark here in a performance that I think is is going to leave Germany's rivals quaking in their boots somewhat but uh, I didn't even feel as if it was the best of them today yeah it's a statement performance isn't it like a real statement and uh... Only really them and Japan have, have sort of done this and come out all guns blazing. I mean, obviously you grow into tournaments, so, you know, it's not necessarily the first game that's going to sort of determine the outcome, but it does set the tone, doesn't it, for the start of your tournament. Obviously, Morocco being debutantes makes the 
the job a little bit easier, but we've seen plenty of other teams um, struggle against lower ranked opposition um, so far in the group stages. So yeah, big, big statement. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people have Germany as one of the favourites to win the tournament. They're, they're so strong. And I think, Obviously, Alex Pop getting injured in the warm-up of the final of the Euros was a huge blow and, you know, potentially could have changed the outcome of that game. But at the same time, I think we've seen a lot of change or not change growth in the Germany team since then. Players come back from injury and just a cohesiveness. Everything seems to be clicking in a way that, maybe it did for England around the Euros um, going into this World Cup that makes them very, very enjoyable to watch. But yeah, high likelihood of uh, of challenging for the, for the title, I think. Yeah, and England could meet them in the quarterfinals. Just how impressed were you with Martina Vos-Tecklenburg's side, Chris? I mean, it's scary really to think there was no Lena Oberdorf. She's been struggling with a, a thigh injury. Yeah, I think to do that without uh, Oberdorf, she was the best young player at Euro 2022, wasn't she? Still only 21 years old, a Wolfsburg midfielder. To do it without her, Marina Hegering, um, 29-year-old defender, also not fit to to start that game. I mean, there was, what, 70 places separating the two teams. So obviously you expect Germany to win. You probably expect them to win comfortably, even though we've seen a lot of uh, the other teams struggle kind of labour to wins over the debutants including England of course but Germany tend to start World Cups really really well their goal difference from the opening games I was reading that is now 40 goals in their favour to three conceded you know they're they're ever present they've been at every World Cup they they nearly always win their opening game and win it well but they did it with with a fluidity to their performance a confidence to their performance with key players missing and that bows really, really well. And of course, as Susie mentioned, the hunger in Alexandra Pop. It must have been devastating for her to miss out on that Euro 22 final, in, in, having had such a great tournament and then to get injured on the eve of the final. And, and she'll, I think she's got 10 or 11 goals now in major tournaments. And um, yeah, you, you, you expect them to go deep into this tournament. And on, on the back of a performance like that, they'll, they'll just have so much confidence. Yeah, Pop spoke about the fact that they've got that fear factor back again with um, opponents showing them respect, Jenna. It feels it could be pretty dangerous uh, for their opponents going deeper into the tournament. And every time they cross the ball in from wide or a set piece, they really look like a threat, which meant for a very tough evening for the Moroccans. They were making history themselves, the first Arab nation to take part in the World Cup. And actually, I thought they had some decent chances. Yeah, they did. I mean, obviously coming up against one of the, the top teams in the world was always going to be a, an absolute uphill struggle for Morocco. But yeah, I think, as you say, I thought they started the game brightly. But I think ultimately the golfing quality and, and experience really showed um, they come up against a, a real ruthlessness in Germany today. And as you say, every time they were dangerous out on the wings. And when you've got a player like Pop, who is probably one of the best aerially you know, it's she's an absolute handful. And I think as we've already touched on, I think the disappointment for her to have to pull out of a, a Euros final, I think that will fuel her. And then obviously the defeat at Wembley in extra time, that will the Germans will be even hungrier now to put that right. And, you know, I think, yeah, they're, they're frightening opponents for anyone they come up against now. Let's talk about, you know, your former teammate, Rosella Ayan at, at Tottenham. I, I thought she was really lively in the opening stages and, and they did have some chances and caused Germany some problems. 
Yeah, they did. And I think Rosella, you know, she's she does it for Tottenham week in and week out. She's that outlet, you know, she'll run her heart out. She likes to run behind. She's got that pace. I think she was left isolated as the game went on. She was their bright spark, but there were patches in the game where she just couldn't get the ball or make it stick. Or when she did have it, it was, you know, when you're defending for so long, it's hard then to get up the pitch and support Ros there. But yeah, I think, she, you know, everyone's really proud of her at the club. Obviously, it's their first time at a World Cup, the first Arab team to be in a in a World Cup. So, I mean, they're making history and inspiring so many people as they're going. But yeah, I think it was a really difficult game. And I think as it went on, as you say, the class that Germany have, I think the fact that they had Lohmann, Orbador, Freigang, Schuler, and Latwein on the bench just shows the depth in their squad as well that they have. And, you know, they, they got to make early subs at the 60-minute mark, taking the players off, resting them. So I think that will all pay and help them the further they get into the tournament. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought Rosella's, I think it was Versus article interview, where she put up uh, some of the backstory as to why she chose to play for Morocco was so moving. It's well worth looking up. It was really like heartfelt and about her relationship with her dad who's passed away a really really like touching interview and yeah like real speaks to you know sort of her decision to decide to represent Morocco she says she feels more connected doesn't she because of her dad exactly yeah and I just can't imagine what that must must feel like to wear that shirt in that context Often there's a lot of talk about, you know, why players choose to represent the countries they do. But I thought that was a really interesting insight into into why she has. Yeah, and no, I just think she's obviously so inspiring as well to speak up about that. You know, obviously she said in that interview that she's never really spoke about it. But, you know, by sharing stories like that, how many young girls is she inspiring now? And, and they get to look up to her and, you know, even young girls that come into our club now, they see a player like Roz playing for Morocco. They can do the same. So, yeah, I think she's she's fantastic. Yeah, it's so key, isn't it? And and Chris, I feel as if that's why it was so gutting that this scoreline was so big ultimately, because actually, you know, Morocco were causing problems early on. Two goals from Alexandra Pop, but it was really that goal from Clara Bull, twenty three seconds into the start of the second half, that that opened the floodgates somewhat. And then when you score two own goals, it just kind of deflates you completely. And then you see Lea Schuler coming on, and you kind of think, oh right, game <laughs> game is up. And they did have the ball in the back of the net, didn't they, Morocco? Good finish by Anissa Lamari, Guangong midfielder. Um, but she was she didn't really need to be offside. It was um she kind of switched off a bit and, and straight into an offside position. It was definitely offside, it had to be chalked off. But I'm gonna cheer so loud when one of these debutant teams does get a goal because we've seen all eight of them play now. None of them have scored. That's one of the closest they've come to. I mean, so many of them have put up good performances, but I really just want to see one of them hit the back of the net and uh, not see VAR or uh, assistant referee intervene and, and see it chalked off. For me, it's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this tournament. I was really worried, and I'm, I know there's still the potential for it to happen, that there were going to be lots of, you know, potentially double-figure scorelines. And, and to think that, that that 6-0 one we saw earlier today is, is the biggest defeat so far. And that we've seen really those, all of the debutants justify their place at this tournament. Because it is so often used as a, a stick to beat women's football with when you get a one-sided scoreline. It's never judged on its on its merits in the same way that the men's game is. And, and in a way, you don't want to see it happen because of that, which is a shame because we shouldn't even be thinking about that. So to see these, these new teams at the tournament equip themselves so well on the whole. But what we want to see in, in, in the next round of games is, is a goal from at least one of them. That's what I'm holding out for. Yeah, fingers crossed. 
Susie Worth is touching on the Morocco pre-match press conference. There was a question about whether any of the players were gay. And given it's illegal in Morocco, quite rightly, it was shut down quite quickly. Yeah, I thought it was a really irresponsible um, question to be asking in that context. You know, really, you know, when you've got a country that where homosexuality is illegal to then be asking the manager and the and the player up, you know, whether there are any players on the team who are gay, I think was really irresponsible because that's, you know, a huge safety risk for those players who are on that team if they're then exposed publicly as being gay for a team in a country where it's illegal. I, I just, yeah, glad to see it was shut down, but I just thought it was a real sort of missed mark question, um, inappropriate. I mean, there's so many bigger questions you could ask about, you know, just how inclusive and welcoming women's football is and the Women's World Cup is and, you know, the impact that that could have back home in a country where it is illegal without outing players in a country where it is, you know, not allowed is is a really dangerous thing to do um, and a really off off mark move. Yeah. Take note, please. Proper journalism. Um, should also give a shout out to Germany and Chelsea's Melanie Leupolz from giving birth uh, nine months ago to representing her country. I mean, that's just the space of one season. That's quite incredible. As a mum of an almost two-year-old, I can't even imagine what it would have been like playing at a World Cup nine months after after giving birth. Her little boy's out there with her as well. The Germany players loving him being around by all accounts. Manager Martin Vos-Stecklenburg says he's got 23 babysitters and a grandmother in the team so I mean pretty covered if they want to come to Wimbledon and you know look after my little boy at any point I'd be really grateful that'd be, be lovely thank you just one other quick shout out to Frank Kirby and Kim Little as a, a punditry dream team earlier on on ITV I was really loving that uh, next games in Group H to keep an eye on Colombia against South Korea that's Tuesday at 3am UK time we'll have reaction to that game on Wednesday's pod okay into Group F and we've just seen Brazil turn on the style in a thrilling 4-0 victory over Panama. Panama's entire starting 11 had fewer caps combined than the iconic Marta and she came on to an incredible ovation in the 75th minute for her appearance at a sixth World Cup, Susie. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It's uh, it's wrong <laughs> in, 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 in so many ways. No one should be defying time the way Marta is. I mean, again, like when we're talking about moving stories, like uh, I think Orlando Pride put up a little video with Marta on her journey through injury, through her knee injury, where obviously so many people were questioning whether she would be able to come back. And she really went on this mental battle with the World Cup in her sights as, as being back and fit for for that and and playing again and that it wouldn't be the injury that ended her career and just to have that motivation and that fight at the age she is and to you know come back and be so influential um still won't necessarily play as many minutes as she would have done in the past but can still be a hugely influential on the pitch as well as obviously significantly influential on it just incredible and a stunning brazil performance but yeah i mean in a way i think for panama 4-0 is actually kind 
kind. I'm not sure whether or not they found that particularly a kind 90 minutes. It was a great cross-headed home via very emotional Ari Borges just before the 20-minute mark. And to say it was coming would be an understatement, Chris. She then gets her second 20 minutes later and then sealed the hat-trick in the second half. No less than, than she deserved. Kind, according to Susie. Yeah, and um, I mean, it could have been worse with Panama. Their goalie made a couple of really good saves. Yenif Bailey, she's 22. And they were saying on the on the commentary, she was still playing in midfield until five years ago. She only switched to become a goalkeeper at that point. The goalkeeping on large throughout this tournament has been good as well. You know, even from the lesser nations, as we would say, teams who haven't had the experience of being there. We've seen some penalty saves throughout, three penalty saves, I think. Uh, a couple more where the keeper had to face it again because they'd moved a little bit too early. So she impressed today, I think, given the talent in that um, Brazil side. But yeah, Ari Borges signing for Racing Louisville just before Christmas. I think she's played in Brazil until that point. She's just turned 23. Clearly so much more to come from her in her career. So uh, that performance bodes really, really well. And I've been keeping a tally on the the input from the, the different leagues around the, the world. And I've, I make that the 11th Goal involvement from an NWSL player, if you include everything that happened in that Brazil game. So we've seen six goals from players in the NWSL and five assists. And in the WSL, we're lagging a little bit behind. We've only seen two goals and uh, two assists. So we're behind the Bundesliga, the Liga, Japan's league, which is professional now, isn't it? And the NWSL are leading that battle uh, in large part thanks to uh, the Brazilians today. Statman Chris, actually, producer Lucy had put in, but you've already mentioned it, that she shamelessly stole a stat from you on Twitter about Panama being the final of eight debutants to play with the previous seven, all having lost and failed to score. So she's wondering if maybe you jinxed them in the first hey, yeah, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> when it's on Twitter, it's there to be stolen. It's in the public domain, isn't it? All stats come from somewhere else anyway. So I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure you can steal a stat because... It's come from other information that is already there, really. So you're welcome to it, Lucy. (laughs) That third goal, Jenna, very tasty indeed. Really selfless as well from Borges. What a debut on the biggest stage for her, setting up Bia Zanarato with that audacious back heel, reminiscent, of course, of the wonderful Alessia Russo. You love to see it. Yeah, I mean, what a a debut to the World Cup. I mean, a hat-trick on your debut. It doesn't get bigger than that, does it? And yeah, like you say, I think that says a lot about her character. Most young players in that situation would have probably taken the shot on themselves. But yeah, so unselfish to to set her teammate up. And, you know, three goals and an assist, it's not bad, is it? And I think, you know, you talk about the influence of, of Marta, even if she's not fully fit. But for a young player like Ari getting to train every day with an experienced player like Marta, world class. I mean, she's only going to, you know, she's so young. The future is so bright for her. And I think being in a camp with with Marta, she'll, she'll learn and continue to grow even more. But yeah, I thought it was a, a beautiful display of football from Brazil. I, I really enjoyed the game. For me, I think Brazil, they, they really put out a, a show there and set the standards. I think they sent a real message out. Yeah, they certainly did, uh, as did Jamaica, by the way, because one of the shocks of the tournament on Sunday uh, where Jamaica picked up their first ever point at a Women's World Cup as they held France to a goalless draw. Late drama in the pouring rain when Diatu Diani's header rebounded off the bar and post and then Bonnie Shaw saw red, but the reggae girls hung on for a famous point and manager Lorne Donaldson said it was the country's number one result, men or women, just look at the rankings. I mean, France, 38 places higher in the FIFA rankings. Let's just sit here and lavish them with some praise, shall we, Susie? 
Oh, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, it like, yeah, I've been dying to see one of the lower ranked nations take points off a big hitter. Obviously, there's been not question marks around France, but they've been a bit of a, a little bit of an unknown entity with the new manager in, Corinne Diak finally gone, like some calm and stability to the squad that maybe they haven't seen for a while. I think there was an expectation that they were going to do big, exciting things. And to see Jamaica put in the perform, uh, Becky Spencer as well. I mean, what an absolutely phenomenal performance from her in goal, like really outstanding, you know, doesn't always get regular minutes, but has just been phenomenal. And yeah, like real standout performance, just enjoyable to watch, particularly, for a team who's, you know, been playing against the backdrop of having to crowdfund its way to the tournament. And it's just brilliant. And of all of the games where I thought a point was going to come from, I didn't necessarily think it would be that one, I have to say. Yeah, exciting things. Yeah, we've got to give some love as well to Tottenham's Drew Spence, Jenna. She was outstanding in the middle of the park. Yeah, Becky Spencer and I thought Drew Spence was the engine in that midfield, you know, they, I thought they got the game plan absolutely spot on. They looked disciplined. Everybody knew their jobs for the day. And as you say, Drew Spence, I thought she would, you know, she really connected the team. She had to dig deep at moments. Bunny Shaw was obviously up, up top on her own. So she was also getting, having to do box to box. But I think Drew Spence used her experience and, and just kept that bit of calm in the midfield area when it was needed. But I thought it was just an all round, really well, drilled game plan. I think having a player like Bunny Shaw, as you know, she's obviously the most important player for that Jamaican team. Having her as your pivotal player, you know, the person that can hold the ball up can bring others into games. But she was really clever as well when her team were under the cost. She was drawing in fouls out of nothing, just getting her team higher up the pitch, giving them a couple of seconds, letting them have a breather. But yeah, it's funny because one of um, one of their coaches, I know him very well, and a couple of seasons ago when the, the new staff inter- come over, he was asked to get a list of players that could play for Jamaica. So we've seen, an, you know, this is the... First World Cup for obviously Becky Spencer, Drew Spence. And this has all come from just pen and paper, just finding players that could play for them. But yeah, it's it's incredible given the struggles that they've had in the build-up to the World Cup to put on a performance like that against France, who I know who have been a bit disrupted, but they've still got some real quality within that squad. I thought they grew into the game. I thought as it went on, they looked more and more dangerous. But that's when Becky Spencer comes into her own. You know, she's an experienced player. She knows when to slow the game down, you know, to to hold on to that ball, get the team up. But no, I thought it was a fantastic performance. And yeah, shout out to Drew and, and Becky. Yeah, the one real negative for the reggae girls, though, Chris, they lost their captain, top scorer, and talisman, Bunny Shaw. For their next match against Panama, she's going to be suspended after picking up two pretty silly and avoidable uh, yellow cards. Firstly, how big a blow is that going to be? Secondly, Joe asks on social media, do you guys think Bunny Shaw was unfortunate to get both yellows yesterday? The second one in particular looked like Wendy Renard was already on her way down or had slipped when she was challenged, what say you? I mean, the first one was definitely a booking these days and possibly her reaction to it didn't help. She was so fired up and um, she was really in the referee's face and uh, that's probably not going to help when it comes to another borderline decision. I think with the second one, maybe had it been earlier in the game, you might get away with it. I think nowadays though, you get away with so little. I, 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 kind, of, I kind of felt it was inevitable. 
when it happened. I, I wasn't surprised to see the second yellow come out. It's it's a huge loss because they've got Panama next, haven't they? Because so, it's Brazil, France in in the next game. And and Panama's the game that Jamaica are going to be looking to win and that Panama's going to be looking to win. I would still, even in her absence, having seen them both play now, I would still think Jamaica have got enough about them to win that game without Bunny Shaw because of the discipline we saw in, in, in the team. So, yeah, to hold France to a goalless draw, that's the first time France have ever had a goalless draw in their Women's World Cup history. It bodes well for how the team is is set up under Lorne Donaldson. And you'd think that they have the organisation about them that even if they're lacking bunny Shaw to to go up against panama and win that game obviously it's not going to be easy because i mean they're not world cup debutants jamaica they've got more experience than panama it's, it's going to be a close game you'd imagine but i would reckon that jamaica even without bunny Shaw, would win that but yeah we're, we're all denied the chance to see a great player because she's just had a phenomenal season that i mean she can just score all sorts of goals um in that man city um side and i, I would i would love to have seen her again on Friday or Saturday when they next play. So it is a real shame, but I I think the, the officials made the right decision, yeah. Yeah, uh, France haven't got past the quarterfinal stages in the past three World Cups, but you, know, you mentioned earlier on the change in, in manager Karine Diacre gone now. So there's a little bit more optimism that they could go deeper in Australia. But can you pinpoint what was missing from this performance, Susie? I feel like France just lack cohesiveness as a unit. I know there have been players coming in and out of the side for a very long time. And I know that, you know, there's players back in the fold that have been out for a long time, but they're just so stacked with talent and it doesn't seem to be quite clicking for them. They're obviously missing a few players through injury and things like that as well. But yeah, just lacking creativity and lack of cohesion in a way like similar to some of the problems that I think England have. And Norway, I was thinking, as you were saying that, Mm. actually, you know, individual talent, but not quite a team. Exactly that. And like, you know, obviously new manager in means that he's not had a huge amount of time to to make things happen and to get them playing as a unit in the way that he wants to. You know, there's not a, a huge amount of time for him to sort of embed a style on the team. And it shows at the moment. I think it's gonna be really interesting when they play Brazil to see whether that changes um, when there's a team that is a little bit more expansive and gives them a bit more space uh, in the middle and you know in the final thirds to to do something a little bit more creatively maybe. Yeah it's gonna be fascinating isn't it when they play each other. Saturday 11am UK time is the next game in Group F and I don't think having watched that Brazil performance earlier on today that France will be particularly relishing that meeting which we thought would be a a Group F decider ultimately still could be but on Jamaica's performances they play Panama next as we mentioned 1.30 on Saturday. Uh, I think that's more of an open group than we maybe thought. Right, that's it for uh, part one. In part two, we'll round up the remaining action in groups E and G.
Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Right into Group E and on Sunday, the Netherlands had VAR to thank for their narrow 1-0 victory over Portugal. Stephanie van der Graat's 13th minute header initially ruled out by referee Katarina Monzul when her assistance flag went up as they deemed Jill Rod had been obstructing goalkeeper Ines Pereira. But... Video assistant referee encouraged her to review the decision and the goal stood. Uh, Did we see enough from the Dutch, Susie, to think that they've maybe got what it takes to potentially go deep in this competition? I don't think we saw enough from them in this game. But that said, Portugal are a really good team. Like We saw them do really well against England in the warm-up game. I was chatting to Lucy Bronze not long after that match and, you know, she was talking about how much they've come on as as a team in recent years. She obviously knows them quite well being uh, half Portuguese herself. She, you know, kind of follows them, keeps in touch. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily a really straightforward fixture, even for, you know, sort of the top teams. Without Midama, you know, they're missing the focal point, aren't they, to their to their attack. And it, it sort of showed Perenstein had some decent chances in this game didn't put them away. They're the kind of chances that when you have a player like Mirdamer on the pitch, they're going in. Um, you know, it's a, a player who every touch you expect a goal to come from, essentially. Um, and they're sort of missing that prolific striker. That said, I mean, they're a team stacked with talent, but it's just, yeah, without the focal point, I don't necessarily think I see them going that far. But Portugal should have been an easier win than perhaps it was. Well, you say that, but England struggled against Portugal, didn't they? You know, that they actually defend pretty well, I think. So a tougher opposition, you know, bearing in mind it's their debut in the tournament than, than maybe a lot of us thought. But how difficult is it to adapt as a player, Jenna, when, when such an integral part of your team and your system is missing like Midamar is? Yeah, I mean, obviously she's been the focal point of the team for so, so long. And when you've got a player like Midamar on the pitch, even half chance is a, a great opportunity for goals. So I agree with what Susie's saying. And as a player, when you take that out of the team and her experience, it's hard to adapt. But, you know, it gives other players a chance to step up and you ultimately have to have a, a plan B. You can't just focus on one individual. And, you know, we've spoken about teams that we've seen already. Norway's a great example, stacked full of individual talent, but you need a whole team to be successful. Um, and I think it's just about finding another way. Obviously, Miedemar on the pitch, you always had half a chance, but they do have enough talent around them to step up and and get them goals. But yeah, obviously, she's been the wonder girl for so many years for, for the Netherlands. So we've said it a lot, these opening games, they've done enough and three points in a tournament, you know, that they've got the job done. Um, they've now got to go and kick on, but where them goals come from, I, I'm not so sure. I think set pieces, they look really dangerous. But then again, if you've got Miedemar on the pitch, those set pieces may be converted to goals. But yeah, it is difficult when you, you've got a player of that standard, of that quality, who maybe for years you've, you've built your game plan around. Once they are taken out of the team, it, it's hard to adapt. Yeah, it really is. Um, Portugal, though, I mentioned how good they were defensively, Chris, but they've got to do more going forward, haven't they? Because they just weren't threatening enough, didn't have a shot on target until the 82nd minute. Yeah, I think also that shot on target was their first touch in the opposition's box, wasn't it? But when you're you're at your very first World Cup, 
you're trying to get the the solid foundation there, which um, Francesco Neto has largely done. I mean, he's taken them to their, their three first major tournaments now, Euro 2017, Euro 2022, where they got in through the back door after Russia were disqualified, and now to their very first World Cup as well. And they're building from that base, like we saw in the England game, like we saw here against the Dutch. They conceded an early goal, but the game didn't get away from them. And they have got some quality there in uh, Jessica Silva, Kika Nazare, who came off the bench. You know, they'll be looking, won't they, at the Vietnam game next. And you would back on, on what we've seen, although Vietnam did really well against the USA, held them just to a 3-0 defeat. You'd expect Portugal to beat Vietnam. And then that would probably send them into their last game still with a chance of getting out of the group. So I think you, you could see why Neto would have prioritised keeping that game tight you know, their opening World Cup game against a team that was in the final four years ago. I, I think Netherlands look to me like they've got a better balance. It might be because of the absence of Miedemar. And obviously you you wouldn't want to be missing her. You'd want her there. But they look like a more balanced team under Andres Jonker than they did under Mark Parsons at, at Euro 22. Where they're a, they looked a little bit gung-ho, left themselves a little bit open, went out in the quarterfinals eventually to France. But without Miedemar... It's going to be very, very tough. Um, you'd certainly bat them to get out of this group, uh, maybe get into the quarterfinals. Uh, but I think he's he's got the potential there to build something. He's got a greater control over the team as a unit than his predecessor. That's how it looked to me on, on the basis of that first game. Yeah, here's what the Portuguese coach Francisco Neto said, Susie. The players showed great character to play the 2019 runners-up. We managed to break their rhythm, just need to play more matches and get more experience. And as Chris said, the Vietnam game on Thursday should be a great opportunity for them to do just that. Maybe there can be a silver lining. Pun intended. (laughs) Clever. Nightmare for commentators and writers. Great for puns. Do you want to write my intro next time? I I will make sure I shoehorn that in at some point. Next game's in Group E, by the way. USA face the Netherlands. Massive, massive game. A replay of the 2019 final. That's on Thursday morning. Set your alarm clocks. It's a a 2am start UK time. Portugal, Vietnam is uh, the more palatable 8.30 in the morning, depending on whether you're a night owl or not. Uh, right, last but not least to Group G, Sweden 2, South Africa 1. Late drama in Wellington, where Amanda Ilsted scored a last-minute winner to help Sweden overcome South Africa and spare the blushes of the side ranked third in the world. It was pouring rain in this one too, and the 2022 Africa Cup of Nations champions came so close to picking up their first point at a World Cup, but it ultimately wasn't meant to be, Chris. Sweden's quality at just about getting them over the line. Yeah, it would have been a, a good fairy tale, wouldn't it, for South Africa to have got something out of that game, certainly when they went ahead as well. And that, that last-minute winner, Amanda Rillis, said that was the, the second of the two WSL goals scored so far, because, of course, she has just signed for Arsenal, and the other one was Steph Catley getting that penalty for Australia on opening day against Ireland. But yeah, I, I was rooting for the underdog in this game. I, I, I mean, I massively respect Sweden's record. I think in a way, we I, I'm often guilty of forgetting just how well they do at major tournaments. You know, their previous European champions way back in 1984, but they've finished second six times at major tournaments, if you include the Euros, the Olympics and the World Cups. So they finished third four times. They're always getting to the, the very latter stages Peter Gerhardsen took after Euro 2017. He, he took them to the final of Tokyo 
He took them to the semi-finals of Euro 2022, third at the last World Cup. They, of course, beat England in that third-place playoff. And the fact that South Africa took them to the very last minute, it, again, just bodes well for the emerging nations. Again, they aren't debutants. They have been at a World Cup before, but you you wouldn't have really backed them to get anything out of this game. And they came mighty, mighty close. We know how stacked full of talent the Sweden squad is, Jenna. Big name after big name, but they they didn't have it all their own way. How do you expect them to grow into the tournament? I think they've definitely got the quality to to get out of the group and, and go further. I think, obviously, South Africa made it really, really difficult for them. And I think, you know, you're looking at a South African team who were looking to pick up the first ever point in a World Cup uh, competition. So to go that close to do it, I mean... I was rooting for South Africa during that game. I was really hoping. But I think it, it shows you the fine lines, the qualities that, you know, you can't switch off in the 90th minute or that close to the game. You've got to be on it for the whole game and, and extra time. I've seen a lot of extra time with all the VAR checks. But for me, I think, yeah, I think Sweden, they'll, the second half, they looked a lot better. They dominated possession. And I think they'll grow now. They grew into that game and I think they'll grow from this game. But yeah, South Africa made it very, very difficult for them. Yeah, real shame for Hilda Maguire as well, who scored her nation's second ever World Cup goal, Susie, but was forced off injured shortly afterwards. Reports are positive she's going to be OK for the game against Argentina on Friday, and that's going to be a huge one. Yeah, and it's a, like good to see a player come back, especially after the, the news that's just come out that um, Limage, the player for Haiti, uh, who went off injured, has done her ACL. So like, nice to see that someone is OK given that like sad news. I don't know what you guys are on about, about cheering on South Africa as the underdogs. For me, I was cheering on Sweden all the way because otherwise I think we would have had a phone call from um, the Guardian's football editor, Marcus Christensen, <laughs> telling us that this podcast was cancelled. <laughs> he very much makes his impartiality uh, very, very uh, unclear at all times. Um, so yeah, I was very much cheering on. I thought, yeah, it was... Uh, spoke to the theme of the tournament bar Germany and Japan that most of the big hitters are taking a little bit of time to get going in this tournament. I think that um, a big part of that is the gap between the season's ending and this tournament starting, which is a bit bigger than normal. So players are taking a little bit of time to find their rhythm and get used to competitive football again, basically. So I think that's actually playing. I think we're really, really going to see the real contenders show their faces in the next round of games, um, in the second group games. Like now, all teams have almost got a game under their belt. I think we'll start seeing who really looks good in this tournament in the next games. Yeah, just one more uh, group game to be played and that's South Korea against Colombia. We'll be reviewing that on Wednesday's pod. Final one for us today, Group G finishing off with Italy 1, Argentina 0. That was earlier on on Monday morning. A late show for Italy as well. They had to rely on an 87th minute winner from substitute Cristiana Girelli to break Argentinian hearts. Her towering header looping over Vanina Correa in the Argentine goal after a beautiful cross. Uh, she was only on the pitch for less than four minutes, Jenna, replacing 16-year-old Julia Dragoni, who's less than half her age. But I mean, incredible uh, impact she made. Yeah, she did. I mean, first of all, Dragoni, first World Cup at 16. That's absolutely unbelievable. And yeah, Gorelli, that's what she does. You know, she's the top goal scorer for Italy. She looks absolutely fuming on the bench. 
not being started. But yeah, come on. And I think that's what you want from your, your substitute, an impact substitution straight on. And yeah, was, she was the difference in the end. But yeah, I think she's uh, warranted a start in the next game. Um, but yeah, I think I think the, the, the manager will say that was his plan all along. Got the substitution spot on and she was a difference. Yep, got her fired up, that's for sure. Two goals, two VAR checks, two no goals in the first half for the Italians. They had to be patient, that's for sure. I mean, they performed pretty well at the 2019 World Cup, then completely underwhelmed at the Euros. What kind of real level are they at, Chris? Well, yeah, I mean, there's all the talk of uh, Milena Bertolini being under a bit of pressure coming into this tournament because of how they, they underwhelmed massively, didn't they, at Euro? 2022, losing 5-1 to France, drawing with Iceland and then losing to Belgium in the deciding match, having come off the back. That's pretty impressive for them, that re- returning to the World Cup after a 20-year absence at 2019, getting to the quarterfinals. I think people felt they were building something and Serie A's just gone professional, hasn't it? They've just finished their very first season of uh, the fully professional league in Italy. So I think... To have gone into that first domestic season as the pro league on the back of a really disappointing Euro 2022, the pressure has been building on Melina Bertolini. So that goal by Cristiano Girelli with just three minutes left, crucial for her. That was a game they really had to win. Argentina still haven't ever won a Women's World Cup match. So you'd have backed Italy to win that beforehand. Argentina put up a resolute display right until the end, but then the experience of Girelli wins it. I mean, that was a, that was a really good header. It was a really, really fine header from Cristiano Girelli, set up by her Juventus teammate, Lisa Biotin, and and as mentioned, Julia Dragoni, 16 years old in the heart of midfield, you know, playing from the start, playing deep into that game. So impressed by her. She signed for Barca in January from Inter Milan. She was actually in the, the competition squad for the Champions League, which Barcelona went on to win. She didn't, didn't appear in it, but um, what, a, what a future ahead for Julia Dragoni. Absolutely. A uh, quick one on Argentina, Susie. They brought the atmosphere, didn't they? They had their own marching band outside and it carried on into Eden Park. They didn't stop partying throughout the whole game. It's what you come to expect with Argentina fans for sure. But their search for a first ever World Cup victory goes on. Yeah, but still decent performance, you know, holding Italy who are, you know, despite, I feel like the Euro... 2022 uh, performance was a little bit of a blip on the uh, resume because they are a growing, developing nation. Like Chris said, the league's professional now. They're, they've got players playing in some of the, the best countries and um, the best leagues in the world. They performed so well at the World Cup in 2019. And like for Argentina to hold them for as long as they did, I think is uh, is a a little bit of a statement that maybe they're not to be quite so overlooked. Um, you know, obviously Benini is a f- huge talent and yeah, you know, it'd be nice to see them get a goal or two in this tournament. You know, obviously the men's team are so good, so iconic world cup holders that it'd be nice to see some of the enthusiasm for international football around the men's team filter over to the women's and be rewarded with like a really solid display at this World Cup. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do against South Africa. That's their next game in Group G, Friday, 1am UK time. Uh, that one kicks off. Looks like that's going to be quite close. And then Sweden will play Italy Saturday morning at 8.30am UK time. Uh, right, Jenna, your pod debut. I hope you agree. Uh, agreed with it. I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah, it's flown by. (laughs) It's a good sign. (laughs) Excellent. We shall see you again soon. Statman Chris Slegg, nice to see you as always. Lovely to see you all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, garnering some more stats as we uh, head into the second round of fixtures. Excellent stuff. Susie Rack, I want a koala next, please. Yeah, next on the agenda. Koala just for you. Thank you very much. I want you actually to put in line, oh, Faye, to Faye from Susie. And then I'm going to hang it in my office. Don't forget, you can email us on Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. Luke Knowles, thank you for your message and analysis of England against Haiti. He was very happy with the amount of chances created despite that low scoreline. England, of course, back in action against Denmark on Friday. We're back in action on Wednesday to round up the latest batch of group games, including Canada versus the Republic of Ireland and Switzerland against Norway. Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredell. And our executive producer is Sal Ahmad. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian.